Let me just do a quick introduction and framing of our time together, and then we're going to jump into it. So my name is Erica Jordan Thomas. I am a former teacher, former instructional coach, former assistant principal, former principal, and just completed my doctorate in education leadership at Harvard Graduate School of Education. And I launched my consulting business three years ago. And so, well, a little over three years ago, October 2017, started my consulting business to support and coach, develop school leaders and support districts in their equity work. And about a year ago, a year and a couple of months, I started a, a, the second arm of my business, which supports educators and helping them expand their impact and go after their freedom through launching a consulting business. And so I'm excited for us to have these conversations this week, all around educators sharing their story of how they launched their consulting business. And y'all, part of the reason why I'm so passionate about this is because of the, the freedom that I think, I think I knew existed, but like felt so liberating, like the moment I myself experienced. Like I knew people could travel. I knew people could say no. I knew people could could have an unexpected expense and feel ease and not feel stressed. But to imagine those things happening for myself and then to experience as a result of my consulting business was one of the most liberating feelings that I was like, every educator deserves to feel this way. So that's why I do what I do. And I'm excited to uplift Lydia's story tonight. And so welcome her in the chat. Give her some greetings. And Lydia, share with us your education movie trailer and kind of walk us through where your education journey started, any stops that you made along the way, and where you are now. And then we're going to jump into learning about more about your business. Yay. Well, hello, everybody. I have had a day. <laughs> actually, um, so before I go into that, I actually just got back to the airport. I dropped oh, wow. off uh, one of my best friends since five years old. Oh. She got to meet my daughter for the first time. Oh. So I'm all emotional. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful meeting. But yes, I am so excited to be here, Erica. And it's just, uh, it's crazy. It's not crazy, but it feels just like a lot to be sitting here right now talking about this because I never thought it would be me. I actually started teaching in Kansas. Uh, that's where I'm originally mm-hmm. from. And I remember my first year of teaching, sitting into, sitting in a classroom with 30-some students and um, 28 chairs. I remember having three-quarters of my students um, as special needs students. And my support teacher left one day and never returned. I was 21. You know, learning about the inequities in the education system came through experience. I I, I was a volleyball coach, so I would travel to other schools you know, and I would see it explicitly. So I, I made the hardest decision of my life and, and moved to Chicago to pursue a master's in cultural education and social policy because I wanted to change the world. I literally had to make a decision, I thought, between, you know, being in front of students or changing a system that was designed to harm and wound mm. my kiddos. And I, I still get chills thinking about that. But moving to Chicago, although challenging, was probably one of the best decisions that I've ever made. 
in terms of learning um, about myself and, you know, being exposed to such an incredible network. And then I eventually got back into the classroom. Uh, I was a counselor. I was a director of post-secondary for a small charter school uh, in Chicago. I was an English teacher. I was a social studies teacher. I was a uh-huh. coach. I was a coach who coached teachers. Um, I worked for nonprofits. I worked in, the community, in community-based organizations. So been all up and through mm. um, the education spaces in and out of the schoolhouse. Because all spaces in which we are engaging with youth, we are all educators. I don't care what you're doing. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you clean it, clean the bathrooms to, you know, being in front of kids in, a, in the classroom. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's been, it's been a journey, my educational journey there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's one of the things why I love having these conversations is because mm-hmm. even though I know you all, I still find out new things. Like through <laughs> yeah. like the, the movie trailer, Kansas, didn't know that. I don't think I realized all the different roles that that you played. So not even just content. First off, let's name that of like when you have taught more than one content or, you know, content area like that's that's a little bit of a unicorn. And then when you've also, in addition to that, have had experience in student support positions such as counseling or community based organization, like all of that is just really, really unique. So that's that's fascinating even for me to hear because that's the first that, that I've heard of that. So tell us why consulting? Like what sparked the idea for you? What made you consider that as a possibility? I know that my journey to consulting, even being an entrepreneur, it's not something that I ever would have said Uh, Lydia, this is something that you're going to do. Like this fits your MO. I feel like, I feel like this is a spiritual journey in that, Mm -hmm. that it was, it was meant to be. And it was through collective spaces where I was doing the work that it just like, this is what was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And I guess in moments that I needed to be, I was obedient. I, um, and there were probably many that I wasn't. So I'm, I'm in a place of gratitude, but I feel like um, I experienced oppression and racism before I had the language to articulate those things. And all through my professional career as an educator, I felt like it was highlighted in those spaces. You know, I think a lot of times nowadays you could argue that stuff is so ingrained, it's not explicit you know, in terms of racism and all of that stuff. Well, like I said before, like experiencing the school that I taught at compared to other schools, the neighborhoods that I taught in compared to others, the neighborhoods I grew up in and experienced, it was very explicit. And uh, and as a teacher coming into spaces, I guess it was innately, I don't know, because I didn't get it in my school of education, to be honest with you, valuing lived experience, valuing people, Mm. valuing equity. Um, I I felt like I've always had like a human-centered lens and an equity-centered lens, very much connected to my own roots and like who I am and um, my experience growing up. But I started working, uh, after I left the classroom, I started working in nonprofits in those spaces. And I found myself doing anti-racism work, equity work, and not getting paid for it in those spaces. Mm. And and I started doing the internal work to like learn about who I am, uh, to value the skills and knowledge that I bring. And although they may not align to society, dominant culture, white, you know, supremacy values, (laughs) to, for lack of better words, I guess, 
I, I began to see that like I held something that I don't know was was special and I deserved to get paid for what I was doing. And I guess I finally just bet on me. Um, mm. And it was probably one of the most challenging decisions that I've ever made because I don't think society has told me or taught me through the education system to bet on me. You know, it was really more about conforming and following a certain path. And so it was really hard to make that decision. But several things happened um, that allowed me to make <laughs> the decision. Yeah. So I decided to lean into the work that I've been doing since, I guess, I've been alive just because of who I am, mm. which is digging into what it means to actualize anti-racism. What does it mean to make that tangible in spaces we live? What does it mean to reimagine what that may look like in schools, in any organization, really? Um, my clients vary. I chose to name it in learning mm. space <laughs> because mm. that's what it constantly is. And I never ask for anything that I'm not doing on myself. myself. It's always a partnership. And learning together, um, mm -hmm. reimagining together, trying to do better um, together. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. Oh, so there's a number of things you said that I'm sitting with, and the one of them in particular was you use the language of that entrepreneurship is a spiritual journey, which, like, yes, <laughs> like I, I love, I love the fact that you use that language because it's so true that it's a spiritual journey. And you shared a lot of things that I think are, are evidence of your spiritual journey of like the, the self work that you have to do in order to make the decision to, to move forward with the decision. Like, I mean, there's so many layers of the self work and it's unending. Like there, it is not a destination. It is an unending journey. Yeah. And so I just want to, I want to pull back a couple of those because you said a couple of things. You said, bet on me, which that's like a piece of the spiritual journey. You said, um, I realized that I could be, I wasn't getting paid my worth or my value, yeah. which is another part of the spiritual, spiritual journey of recognizing your value. Because, you know, we as educators, to your point, so I feel like, I feel like there's for us who, who, our identities have historically been oppressed in this country and we happen to be educators. There is this country will suppress our value and then education suppresses the value of educators. Yep. Like we are, we are undervalued in so many different ways. There are so many of these external forces that tell us we should be okay being underpaid. Mm. And, and it sounds like a part of your spiritual work, which is, I think for any entrepreneur is, is realizing your value and your worth. Ooh, it sounds like that yes. was a part of your journey too. So if you could, whatever feels meaningful, whatever comes to mind, if, if you could just talk through like a pivot point or a moment that you experienced in that spiritual journey, whether it was within one of those kind of intrapersonal work or something else, but like, I'm curious of like, what did the moment feel like? What it looked like that like made the light bulb go off of like my, now my thinking is shifting. I'm actually thinking differently about this. Yes. Oh, such a, such a, such a big and important question. I was laid off 
And I was working this summer, actually, for an organization, a small nonprofit. I don't think it, I can. I think I can say what where I was working this summer. Uh, it is totally up to you. Yeah. Your choice. Um, yeah, I don't think she would mind. Um, I was working for MHA Labs, and I was doing some special projects. I was creating toolkits, anti-racist and um, equity center toolkits for youth practitioners. You know, throughout the city of Chicago, it was a, it was, it was a grant funded free tool that I was creating. And I was absolutely in love with what I was doing. Mm. Um, and I kept thinking to myself, why, why am I applying to places? <laughs> I'm trying to be careful, Erica. Yeah. Why I'm am sorry. I, okay. Why am I applying to places that I may have experienced before that because of the way that they were built, um, made it hard for me to to be, to show up fully and wholly. I don't know if it's a word. Maybe it's a word, but wrong context. Well, it's a word tonight. It's, <laughs> it's a, a word, word tonight. tonight. <laughs> to, show, to show up, to lean into my strengths, to lean into what I love to do. And I really had to do some, some, some deep, deep introspective mm-hmm. work. And I had just had, a, had, a, uh, had my daughter, Olivia, and oh girl you don't make me cry tonight honey. oh but um i had experienced uh sometimes that you have to get real to a low place um mm-hmm. to have clarity and mm-hmm. i was i was thinking about olivia and the mother that i wanted to be and i didn't want to make the sacrifice i didn't want to sacrifice lydia because of some professional decisions. I wanted to show up to be the mom I wanted to be. And I actually, I've transitioned from like, I wanted to do all of these things to be the mom for Olivia to actually, I want to do all these things because I deserve it as well. Mm. And I know that my liberation is bound. Her liberation is bound in mine and mine and hers. Mm. And so to me, you know, earlier on you said liberation and I was just like, yes, that's what this is about. This summer, I had these moments where, yes, in this, in my lowest place, <laughs> where I had just, I had clarity and I started doing the little bits, right? I started thinking about a website. I signed up for your class, which literally changed my life. I know she did not ask me to say this or anything about anything she does, but it literally changed my life. Doing the internal work to think about my relationship with money, my relationship mm-hmm. with self-worth, all of these things that I wasn't expecting in this class really was a pivot point. It literally changed the traje- trajectory of where I potentially could be right now. And and the goal is liberation. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, right now, I feel like I'm kind of in a stormy place. I'm learning about like setting boundaries. And although mm-hmm. I am an entrepreneur and I decided to take this journey, I could easily work 80 hours a day. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I'm figuring it out. And I, mm-hmm. I know as I was crying on the car ride back here from dropping my friend off at the airport that, that yeah, like, this is what you asked for. This is part of the mm-hmm. spiritual journey. Like, why are you overwhelmed? Because you have clients and people who want to work with you and partner with you. That's what this is about. So mm-hmm. I'm... I'm learning and unlearning as I go. And it seems like constant 
constant spaces of learning and unlearning. Um, Mm -hmm. But that pivot point was really, yeah, this summer when it was just like, who do you want to be and how do you want to show up and who do you deserve to be? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Oh, Lydia, I don't know if you've been seeing, but like the hearts are flying (laughs) on our... Thanks, on y'all. this live, um, what you're sharing is hitting the hearts of so many people who are who are joining us. And I, I'm sitting here intentionally for people who who are listening because I'm going to keep calling this a spiritual journey because it's the perfect term. And so, thank you for giving me that language okay. because it is the perfect term for for entrepreneurship. And part of it is is like to your point of like almost almost like teaching where like teaching will reflect back to you who you are yes like entrepreneurship is going to reflect back to you all of your self beliefs mm-hmm. because you said that you used the language earlier i had to bet on me mm-hmm. and so like you're going to have countless moments where the answer to what you will do will come down to if you believe you can do it or not, if you believe you're capable, um, if you believe you're worthy. I just appreciate you sharing your your story so much. And two quick examples that came up for me while you were sharing, because I think part of this, I, I want to make sure that folks who are listening are hearing as many examples as possible. Because for me, I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't see all of this until I took the healthy risk and just started to do it. And I did it scared. I did it without a playbook. I did it like without a website. You just got to do it scared. What's different about your journey versus mine is I was still, I still had a a job when I I did it. And hearing your journey and your story of the way you're betting on yourself and you went in full time, just naming that nuance that I don't want to overlook because that's so important and valuable in your story. Two quick moments. The first is my very first contract was through actually my boss who was consulting at the time. I was like, hey, if you, I know you're consulting. If you get to capacity and you need help, let me know. Happy yes. to. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got my first contract literally within two weeks. And I remember them reaching out, and this was a tiny, tiny school district, like the, the school district where the superintendent also does Title One, <laughs> like they might be driving a bus too. <laughs> and I remember they wanted a full day of PD, and I had no clue, like how to even set yeah. my pricing. Yeah. And I reached out to you know my network to kind of help me figure out my pricing. And I recall, so that very first invoice was $1,600 for one day of PD. Um, And my prices are super different now. (laughs) My prices are a lot higher. But at that time, at that time, three years ago, I was a principal and $1,600 a day of PD in my full-time that takes me about a week to make. Oh yeah. So that was moment number one. And then moment number two happened for me, actually this, well, there's tons of moments, but the second moment I'll share in this conversation happened for me this past year during the last year of my doctoral program, I I had to complete a residency and work for an organization. Mm -hmm. And I, it was, I had this moment, we were doing some equity work. I shared my equity thoughts 
And um, (laughs) I got feedback that the leadership team perceived my thoughts to be a lecture. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so as soon as they said the word, it's like when someone calls you as a Black woman aggressive or intimidating, I'm like, that's in the same bucket. That's a microaggression. But we're going to talk about it and we're going to unpack that. Yeah, just talk about it. But in the moment, it felt different because I've had that experience before where where someone in a position of power Mm -hmm. has has delivered a microaggression. Yes. And in that moment, it felt different because I knew that I didn't need them. Like financially, I didn't need (laughs) them. Mm -hmm. And so like to your point of like, I think part of, of, of a lot of what we've been socialized and is we've been socialized to work in dysfunctional environments, racist environments, oppressive environments, and we've been socialized to put up with it because we can't go without a paycheck or I need my paycheck. Yep. And so I just named that as an example of when I had that moment, it felt so freeing of like, I actually don't need you at all. I don't need you financially. Nope. So the way I can maneuver in this situation, I feel so empowered to speak my truth because I'm not worried about going without this paycheck. That's not what's at the top of my mind because I'm good. Yeah. I am going to speak my truth. I am going to to say, you know what I'm thinking right now as a Black woman hearing that you just gave me feedback that it's a lecture. I am thinking right now to what extent is my identity playing a role in how you perceived my story? Mm. But I felt I felt so free in being able to do that because I wasn't I was operating from a place of abundance and not scarcity oh, of just yes. like, oh, I need I need this paycheck or I have to survive because I need yes. the money. So I just named that as another part of what I indirectly heard in your story. And as another example for people listening, so um, because I want, I, I don't want us to, I, I operated from this place from so long of like, that's the only option. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to put out. Oh yeah. Um, and it's like, I have to get through this and push through and suppress my own feelings and who I am to survive. So I, I just share that for folks who are listening well, because thank you. Um, part of a uh, part of Insable, who's another alum who we did a previous mm-hmm. uh, conversation with. And so if you all are connected with my podcast, go and listen to her conversation. It's super powerful. And she said something for me that I will never forget. She said, you know, every essentially the key point is Everyone sees entrepreneurship as so risky. When when we're living in an oppressive and racist society, the safest place for me to be as a Black woman is in my own business. Like, that's actually safe for me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So we've, people are are, are sharing some thoughts and reactions and we see all of your comments in the chat. If you all have questions as we go throughout our conversation, please feel free to to share and ask those. So Lydia, you're st- yes. you started to kind of tell us about your business. So let's let's learn more about your, the beautiful business that you you have created and you're still growing. Tell us what problem you're solving in your business. Absolutely. So uh, it's a big problem. <laughs> um, the uh, a learning space. Oh, sorry, it keeps like fading out. The learning space was created to really solve the problem of within organizations, I guess, not I guess, but 
white supremacy and racism. When I was thinking about the unlearning space, I was thinking about, to most people, those terms seem so abstract. It's, it's almost like, because of white supremacy, our minds aren't allowed to really think about or like reimagine what spaces would actually look like if racism wasn't a thing, if that false hierarchy, that false power construct wasn't created, you know, to put people in buckets. And Mm -hmm. it has been so wounding and so harming uh, in my own lived experience. And as a marginalized and oppressed person, like I said earlier, not really having the language to explain. And then again, you know, operating in spaces where white supremacy makes you question your own self and you internalize mm-hmm. your own oppression and you're like, wait, am I crazy? Or... And then a lot of times in certain spaces, not having, yeah, not feeling like you had space to talk about it. So you were just, re- I was just really dealing with things. And even if I did have space to talk about it, it felt like it went, it didn't go anywhere. So I created the unlearning space to really help individuals, teams, organizations start doing the work, that internal work to really think about starting with self, then moving to others, then thinking about like, how do we impact systems in our organizations, in ourselves, but always starting with self. Because we have been, as you were saying, socialized and conditioned. Uh, It doesn't matter um, if you're of the majority, you're a white person, or if you are BIPOC or, you know, an oppressed identity, you have been conditioned and socialized to believe certain things about yourself and others. We all have privilege. We all have bias. And so really understanding, because what I'm finding is that, and I was just talking about this, a lot of people don't necessarily in their profession or in their families or in their lives have or create space to do that internal work. Mm -hmm. So we go through life, you know, swimming through those conditions, swimming through that conditioned, I don't know, water that we're an air that we're breathing, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so supporting people and organizations to do that work. And it is hard and it Mm -hmm. is mentally and emotionally exhausting, but I'm finding so much sounds kind of contradicting, I guess, but energy and power, on my own liberation journey by doing the work. So that so it's just been an incredible bet on Lydia. Um, you know, being able to create tools and to not feel boxed in by like, this is your role. This is what you do. This is, this is all that you do. But really being able, I've, I've found that I'm much more creative. <laughs> mm. Um, mm. I'm much more like, I don't know, excited to design and to create tools and products and, Oh my gosh. It's just been, I don't know. It's just been a beautiful role, but the three services that we, that we offer. And I do say we, because this is a very collective work. I don't, this is not just Lydia, right? This is, and I am a part of the collective shout out to the practice Alliance, um, two other organizations. We do a lot of stuff together, which is how I think the work should be done. Um, they mm-hmm. hold me accountable and I hope, I hold them accountable. I love you guys. But yeah. So I don't, what was I just saying? Yeah, so our three services is <laughs> really helping support transformational work. So if you're an organization, who's, who, an organization who I want to become more anti-racist, I want to be on that journey, then I help support that. And it's really through a participatory method where I have to find contact 
context and understand the people and what's going on. And so I'm really a part of the organization. And although I'm external, I think one of my strengths is building relationships and getting in there and just doing it, being vulnerable and transparent and just and learning. Also doing um, curriculum revision and really helping helping to decolonize a lot of our texts, whether it's a curriculum or it's resources or a website, helping people rethink and like I said, I guess decolonize that 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 literature and that yeah, using a different lens. Mm-hmm. And and then yeah, just coaching and consulting if if you know, yeah, there's tons of questions, making the abstract tangible, making it concrete, just uh, I do a lot of coaching and consulting as well. So those are three main service services and they look different with each partnership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone just put in the chat new affirmation, bet on me. Oh. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> Which I love that so much and it sparked a thought for me is that as educators, we've unconsciously bet on ourselves in so many ways. Yeah. Like we have, and I think this is a part of the spiritual work you have to do as an entrepreneur (laughs) is making all the parallels between what you've already done that actually, when you do it in your business, it's not new. It's just a new, it's a new context. You're actually translating. You're not necessarily like starting from scratch. And so like, I just yeah. think of this example of if you have taught a child how to read, okay, <laughs> you can build a business. Come on. Oh, like absolutely. if you have taught a child how to read, I'm telling like building a business, but <laughs> you'll be able absolutely. to do, you will be absolutely. able to do. And so I just, I, I, that made me, you know, seeing that comment in the chat, I was another example of, you know, I'm going to underscore for our folks who are listening, because this is the spiritual work. There's actually, you're actually more prepared than what you think. Yep. Yep. Like if you, you if are, you have ever stood with 20 plus set of eyes looking back at you, stood in front of a classroom and have taught a lesson where kids learned. Okay. And we didn't even talk about the fact that if it was during a pandemic or if it was, if you had internet okay. or not, or oh, if it was like great. if the copier broke down an hour before school, the bell rang. Oh. Like we're not even throwing cur- curveballs yet. Like right. We're not, we're not, or just the inequities of yeah, just absolutely. like, you have, have all these diverse needs that you have to meet within the same moment. Um, you'll be able to build. You'll be all right. You're going to be get, like, you're more prepared than what you think. Absolutely. Um, so, so just making that connection for folks is that you have already bet on yourself in so many ways yes. that doing it in your business, it's the same thing. You're, you're believing in the moment that you can show up and you can, now you're just showing up on behalf of yourself and, and your clients. But like, this is about the choice you have and what you want to be true in Absolutely. your business. So you shared the problem you're solving. You shared some of your services. Was was that crystal clear for you like when you first started? <laughs> you had the, you I know had the answer to this, but go ahead. I know Absolutely the answer. <laughs> not. Oh my goodness. I did not I did not have a crystal clear problem. I did not I did nothing was crystal clear. Okay. <laughs> I nothing was crystal clear. It I and that's probably why I use this word spiritual because it, it just really the little bit came together and they're still coming together mind you it this is you know it's a journey but no I did not and this work is collective and I guess one thing about being an entrepreneur is finding your circle your network your people mm. because yeah 
you, you don't want to be siloed in this work and you need those, those people to help you, which is the one reason. And I had other people who took Erica's class, but the other, the other reason, yeah, to the, that was the main reason that I took the class was to really gain a network, learn mm-hmm. about what I wanted to do because I didn't really know. All I do is that I wanted to like, yeah, I just had a very high level idea of what, what it was. And so it was a process. I didn't even know. I didn't even know I needed to like solve the problem specifically. Like my mm-hmm. mind was more, more thinking about, it was almost too granular. Like I was thinking about, I want to do this specifically. Like I want to, uh, I don't know, coach teachers. I don't know. It was yeah. too specific. Like I, I needed help <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I needed a community. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so what got you from, I didn't know to like what you just named? Because what you named was real clear, like super clear. <laughs> and so like, what was, how did you get from point A to like where you are now? Yeah, so it was mainly your class and, and getting feedback around the statement from folks in the class, from you, from other people outside of the class, which was part of an assignment. It was asking people is this, it was surveying people. Is this, is there a need here? Does this problem make sense? It's a, you know, you, ha- you have your people who help with the edits and the language. You have your people who help with like this, the clarity, you know, and it was really just, just asking people, but it was also, cause I think it's important to name like the soul work behind it. Like, is this it? Because initially, actually, I almost kind of forgot about this. I was creating a business thinking about what other people may want rather than what, and yes, that was aligned to kind of what I wanted to do, but it wasn't like just specific to my strength. Like that's something that I had been taught, I guess. And maybe in some context that's okay, but I'm like, Lydia, this is your business. What do you want to do? And how does the problem align to what you want to do? And and it felt weird and it still does kind of in thinking about like, you don't, you're not creating a business. Maybe this sounds backwards. You're not creating a business, you know, creating things just for other people. Like you are choosing to do this because you know that you need to do this purpose work and you can choose to do services that align to your strengths. You can choose to lean into those. And so I had to narrow down. I had I had a lot of other things that I was uh, trying to do. And I think that that's okay to tell yourself. Are you creating all of these things to stretch yourself thin? And then why? Like, yeah. where is that coming from? You yeah. know, who are, what are you trying to prove? What you want to offer is worthy. You know, so it's, it's just a lot. It's just, it was yeah. just a lot of, yeah. You know, what's so interesting, it, going back to this point of like, your business is going to reflect back to you all of who you are. Mm-hmm. Because it goes back to like our beliefs and the way we've been conditioned. Yeah. Because it's one thing when you're overworking for someone else. And then when you're in your own business and you have control and you realize you still feel overworked, it's like, wait a minute. Like, Hold I on. created it because this is my business. So, like, I can't blame this on like the system, <laughs> yeah. okay. the organization. Like, this was me. Yeah. I set this up. So, like, what is it that I, what decision did I make? Yes. What belief did I hold that actually created this thing? Yes. And that's a part of, uh, I think that's a part of, you un- you, there's so many places or so many beliefs that you're operating from as an educator, what we've yeah. been conditioned to believe as in the working and operating within a system. And when I say system, I mean 
the system of the world yes. and oppression and racism, but also the yeah. system of education, we have conditioned ourselves to, after we work our eight to four or seven to two or three, whatever your school hours are, you still got a plan, you still got a grade, you still have meetings and all that stuff. We are conditioned to overwork. Um, and then, and we're also, we've also been conditioned to be, be generalist. Like we, we are, we're not often conditioned to go deep. Yep. We're conditioned to go wide. Yep. <laughs> like yep. we have to teach all, my first year of teaching, first year teacher. Yeah. I taught high school. I taught, I had a block schedule, four blocks. I had three courses I had to teach Woo! three different courses. And that was like, <laughs> that was like, like a not a punch. big deal. Where like, I taught three different math courses. So I had three different lesson plans every yes. day, three times the plus, Carol, planning all by. And like, that is, you can't see the issue with that until oh. you're in your own business and you're like, wait, why would I be solving three problems when I could solve exactly. one? Exactly. You know, you bring up two major things for me here. It, it, in education and I'm whatever, it's this guilt-driven, mission-driven, yeah. unhealthy, 17 hats wearing, worth ethic that I have learned in my own journey is so problematic. Mm-hmm. Another tool of the oppressor is just really this idea of like, you producing, you working, you doing, that is where your value lies rather than in your being. And let me tell you, Mm. okay, each of us, if we didn't do another thing, that's enough. It is our being. We matter, period. And I'm, I'm learning to really unlearn this idea that, that, that I only value by what I'm doing. Mm. Um, it's really about my being and, and, and that's helping me balance. It's still a struggle. But it's helping me balance and set boundaries and really think about my priorities and who I am. I uh, completed in 2019 a Surge Fellowship. Shout out to Surge. Hey. Hey. And we have this thing called Soul Circle, and I'll never forget it. One of the things is you often hear people say, you know, you in order to fill, you know, you have to have a full cup in order to, to be able to fill and serve other people's cup. And yes, that may be true. But what I learned in Surge is that you have to fill your cup because you just deserve a full damn cup. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? And I'm just right. like, yes. Like, I, it's not always about what you can give. Right. You deserve it. Your right. being deserves it. And I just thought, wow, that was just so crazy. You know, I, yeah. you know, so I'm, so I'm working on, you know, and again, that just ties into my own value, my own self-worth. Yeah. And I think in this country, having a marginalized identity it can it can feel very challenging to to feel valued and just like I matter and I'm enough. Um, yeah. So you know what's so interesting? What that makes me think about. It. So y'all, if you have questions now, is the time to drop them because we have just a few moments left. So if you have anything you want us to answer, go ahead and drop that now. Um, I had this aha when I was because another piece that has come up for me in this conversation that is a part of the unlearning that your business will reflect back to you is perfectionism Oof. of like, it will reflect back to you all of the ways that you hold yourself to an unrealistic, unhealthy standard. And like, you yes. have to do the work to unlearn that and to give yourself grace. Oof. 
and to be okay to know that 70% is, is good. Yes. <laughs> like, that like it's not yes. zero or a hundred of like, there are yes. some things I can do 70%. I can do 50%. And guess what? It's still good enough. It's okay. It is Absolutely. okay. It is still good enough. And the thing that I've had to, to accept within myself is my 50, 60, 70% is actually yeah. in the top quartile. 20. Okay. Like, okay. like my little, my little 50% yeah. when I just get yeah. up and, you know, I'm going to give you about an hour. That hour is going to be magic and gold. Absolutely. Okay. So magic and gold. <laughs> so part of that, that, that comes up for me is, is realizing and so much of my entrepreneurial journey has, has shown this for me because I was, my friend, Kalila, she had put me on to Bell's Hook Sisters of the Yam, which is like, oh my God. Everything. It is like everything I didn't know I needed. Yeah. And there is a particular portion of that book because it's all about self-recovery for Black women. Oof. And in the book, she talks about like the negative self-talk that we do and actually how that is the voice of the oppressor within us of that negative self-talk. And so part of me, when I read that, it made so much sense of like realizing that when we tell ourselves that we have to do a hundred percent, we have to like focus on, on these things that really are the nice to have, but like the need to have, like is really what's important. Like that's actually the voice of the oppressor within us that's holding us to an unhealthy standard that we will never be able to meet, but it will burn us out and it wants us to burn out because it can't take the energy and gifts that we have to put out into this world. It literally makes a person shake. And so I just named that for folks because that's a part of this journey too. There are things that I have put out in my business that people are just like, that was great. That was like amazing. And I think about the self-talk I did when I was doing that thing. And I felt like I gave 50%. But people were like, oh my God, that was like great or amazing. Just like realizing that was the talk of the oppressor. You are, oh my gosh, you are just speaking to my whole body. I, that's work that I'm doing, this perfectionist thing. And as an entrepreneur, it, it, that, that has, that has been something that I've been working on. I feel most of the time, I would say 80% of the time, after I leave a space, after I create a product, after I do something, the initial narrative in my head is negative. Mm-hmm. And I'm acknowledging, and I understand, like you said, like intellectually, I understand that that is internalized depression and it is BS. And I understand that. And it's also something that I'm continuing to unlearn. And I almost have to, not almost, but I have to speak out loud an affirmation or something to reject it. My therapist has really been helpful, uh, to be honest with you, because it's just, it doesn't make any sense because I can talk to you about what just happened and it's like, that's amazing. But in my mind, you know, and so, so that is so real. I don't know if other folks experienced that, but it, it is so real. Um, yeah, so we just got one a question oh. Um, oh. that says, "What do you do to recover after leading anti-racist work?" Huh. That's such a good question. I would say that this type of work, a lot of times, you hear self-care, like, "Oh, you know, go take a nap or do your nails." Um, <laughs> 
That ain't it. <laughs> that is not it. It takes a lot of intentionality to create space. Literally in my calendar, I will put like reflection space or I think I learned from another thing from your class um, or read something about someone who took like uh, a reading retreat mm. or for me as an introvert, definitely creating space for my mind to rest. I've started doing breathing exercises, which uh, I can be honest, I thought it was kind of corny. I was never a good like meditator. I, I wasn't. But starting to do breathing exercises, oh, it yeah. literally, you know, sensing where the stress is in my body, releasing it, letting it go, speaking about those things and doing those daily. Like this isn't just like, let me just plan to do this, you know, after a busy week, incorporating those things into my schedule regularly and making time and scheduling it sometimes and just doing it when I need to reactively, allowing myself, again, it's connected to self-worth. This is just as important as getting this, this whatever sent to whatever client, taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so yeah, I, I finding space to let my mind just be, I actually like to ride the bike a lot because mm-hmm. I've found that my mind is still when I do that and doing breathing rec- re- exercises, um, really allow me to ground and center and like get back to self because my mind can go. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. So, so those are a few things. Oh, that's good. It reminds me girl track for those who aren't familiar with girl yeah. track, but it's a organization, um, uh, founded by two black women with a mission of um, liberating women through walking. And they have a really beautiful podcast called Black History Booth Camp, which I would recommend to any and everybody. Um, but one of the things one of their co-founders, Morgan, said in one of the podcasts is one of the most revolutionary things that a black woman can do is breathe. Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, and like, yes. and like oh, how, because how much we don't even, and I, oh. I actually didn't become conscious to my breath until I started school. Yeah. Of like, like I had never to your point of like, cause I had the same perception you did, you know, of like, why would I like to breathe? What? Like, <laughs> yeah. but like, there's something about time for that. <laughs> yeah. And there's something about giving your, yourself the permission to pause and be pause. present. And oh, like how, I mean, there's, it's a whole separate conversation, but like, how much this world doesn't allow us as Black women to pause or to breathe and how much we have generationally, historically, have not been allowed Mm -mm. to breathe or have been allowed to pause. So just highlighting that what you said of, of it's more than just the breath. It's giving yourself, like it's actually an act of resistance of like it's allowing yourself to pause in a world that tells you that you're not deserving of a pause. Yes. Have to keep Come going. Come on, Andre Lord. Yes. Um, yes. So, yes. Self preservation. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Absolutely. so just naming, naming that for folks because I got on the meditation during the pandemic and it has been <laughs> life changing. Life changing. To where when I first started, I was like, how am I going to meditate for five minutes? And I was like, let me look for a 20 minute meditation. <laughs> 20 minutes today. All right. This is so awesome. Lydia, how can people get in contact with you? Anything coming up in your business that you want folks to know about or who should reach out to you? 
Yes. So anybody can reach out to me. Uh, we can do this unlearning together, but you can reach out to me. I can give you my email, but also check out my website, www.unlearningspace.org. Uh, my email is lmercer at unlearningspace.org. Feel free to shoot me an email. And yeah, nothing no, nothing big is happening. Uh, just chucking along with, with, with the, the regular and magical and golden work that, that I am so blessed to be able to do. So yes, reach out. Uh, this was great. Erica, I really, really appreciate you for so many reasons. But um, yeah, we're on this journey together. Lydia, thank you. Thank and I, you. you know, I am forever in your corner. Like feet planted in the cement, can't nobody move me. Um, I'm Thank forever you. in your corner. I you want know. you to win um, because when you win, we win, our community wins. And I'm just so grateful for you. So sending you all of my love. Um, and thank, thank you, you again for your time. Thank you so much. Bye, all right, Erica. y'all be safe. Bye, Bye everybody.